A little girl asked her father, how did the human race appear? I would have responded, pretty foolish. The father answered, well, God made Adam and Eve. They had children, and so was all mankind made. Two days later, the little girl asked her mother the same question. The mother answered, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. The confused girl returned to her father and said, Dad, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God? Mom said that we developed from monkeys. The father answered, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your mother told you about hers. (laughs) Our having an Evolution Sunday each year is due in significant part to something called the Clergy Letter Project, which organizes um, an evolution weekend each year in February. They usually celebrate it around um, Valentine's Day, but we have other things that we need to focus on at that time. And so we include it in February, and I sign on to the project, but um, we just aren't doing it the same time in February. The project was founded and is directed by a man named Michael Zimmerman, who's a professor of biology at Butler University. Uh, Zimmerman was instrumental in changing Uh, challenging the school board of Grantsburg, Wisconsin, when the board injected creationism and intelligent design into their public school science classrooms. The board decision was later reversed. Clergy from many different traditions signed their names to to a statement that reads, We the undersigned believe that the theory of evolution is a foundational scientific truth, one that has stood up to rigorous scrutiny and upon which much of human knowledge and achievement rests. Evolution Weekend is an opportunity for serious discussion and reflection on the relationship between religion and science. One important goal is to evaluate the quality of the discussion on this critical topic, to move beyond sound bites, and I think assumptions. A second critical goal is to demonstrate that religious people from many faiths and locations understand that evolution is sound science and poses no problems in their faith. Finally, Uh, as with the clergy letters themselves, which have now been signed by more than 12,000 members of the clergy in the United States. Evolution Weekend makes it clear that those claiming that people uh, must choose between religion and science are creating a false dichotomy. Through sermons, discussion groups, meaningful conversations, and seminars, the leaders listed on in the clergy letter show that religion and science are not adversaries. 
Arguing against the existence of God is not an efficient strategy for getting those with an opposing view to put their fears away. Or to believe that you are not trying to take something very precious to them away. Nor, I think, does it further accomplish the goal of keeping science limited to studying the scientifically generated and verifiable data. Not at this point, anyway. In the same right, science has no authority to make broad jumps out of its discipline and purview into another with sweeping conclusions. There was a a blog article that Steve Caldwell sent me this week. Um, In it were parts of a discussion between the National Association of Biology Teachers and the National Center for Science Education. Early on, the blog's author asserts that natural selection and evolution in general are material processes blind, mindless, and purposeless. And and he he cites things like uh, the fact that there's some evidence that orangutans' brains have reduced in size. Uh, I would think the... um, There are a lot of other examples to support that, but... The blog goes on to point out that the National Center for Science Education persuaded the National Association of Biology Teachers to change its characterization of evolution, which originally read like this. The diversity of life on Earth is the result of evolution. An unsupervised, impersonal, unpredictable and natural process of temporal descent from uh, genetic modification that is affected by natural selection, chance, historical contingencies, and changing environments. Okay? That was the original statement. The National Center for Science Education had them, asked them to remove the words unsupervised and impersonal because it led to pushback from faith communities. And as one Christian said to the person writing the article, evolution as uh, defining evolution as unsupervised and impersonal implied to many Americans that God had nothing to do with it and life has no meaning. Reflecting these public concerns, two distinguished theologians, Houston Smith from Cornell, who's written a lot of noteworthy books, and Notre Dame's Alvin Plantinga wrote a letter to the National Association of Biology Teachers Board of Directors asking them to delete those two words. They specifically noted that the use of the two words has two unfortunate and unintended consequences. It gives aid and comfort to extremists in the uh, religious right for whom it provides a legitimate target. 
And because of its logical vulnerability, it lowers Americans' respect for scientists and their place in our culture. Uh, some mentioned that they considered the language to also uh, be a pollution of science with philosophical naturalism, and the two words were dropped. A cursory look over the rest of the blog gave me the impression that none of those participating had sympathy with the positions that Houston Smith and Alvin Plantinga had stated or that the National Center for Science Education uh, had, had taken. Quite frankly, their responses struck me as points on one side of a coin, looking across the coin and talking to each other and then concluding that the coin had been sufficiently flipped. Uh, laying aside notions of one religious truth or another, the existence or non-existence of God, those who have not had a deep, personal, religious or spiritual experience are in no position to judge the reality of those who have. Nor do I believe that such a dismissal fits with the Unitarian Universalist tradition that acknowledges wonder and transcendence, or that advocates dialogue, inclusion, and continual investigation for truth. As a child, I would consider things like, if God made the world, who made God? And then, who made whatever or whoever it was that made God? You know, this perpetual bounding back. In the end, it was, an, it was a loop that had no end. But the same thing is true for me if I consider the theory, the Big Bang Theory. Something came from nothing. And something had to make that something come from nothing. But if that's true, then something had to make the whatever made the something that made the something that came from nothing. Right? I don't know what's, how science comfortably sits on that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, clearly. But there are many things in our experience that are improvable. There's a, an example I use with some regularity from the movie Contact with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey, where he is a religious figure and she's a scientist and she talks about uh, things needing to be provable. And he asks her, did you love your father, who she had loved very dearly? And, his, and her response was, well, yes. And, and he said, prove it. 
We can't prove our love. We can't, we can't prove love. We might be able to prove our love in some ways, but we can't prove love. We can't measure or prove another person's experience, sometimes even our own. We cannot measure or prove intention. Evolution is, after all, a theory. So far, in the way that things have developed, new theories come along that umbrella the old ones and absorb them into something that has an even broader view and explains more and encompasses more. The field of quantum physics, which, I, again, I know only enough to maybe feel a thimble about, but the, but the concepts that come up about it sometimes are very fascinating to me. But quantum physics begins to stretch the realm of possibility to include some precious notions of paradox, and it calls into question a lot of assumptions that we have about the nature of reality, about the material world, about this place that we live. But it does demonstrate that an understanding which is wedded too completely to hard and fast rules or facts about this life of ours is deficient in scientific methodology. Darwin evokes the works of God, the works of natural theology, the greatness of nature at the beginning of the origin of species, because he really does believe those works in nature are beautiful and astonishing and the adaptations are there. He's at one with the spirit of natural theology. Just read his prose in The Origin of Species. It exudes wonder of nature, but he can explain how it happened. That was a quote from a radio show about evolution. Darwin said about himself when he was writing that book, he had as much faith as a bishop. He later called himself an agnostic no actually it was it was when he was calling himself an agnostic that he said when he wrote that book he had as much faith as a bishop but even his book is full of wonder human beings are the only species on this planet of which we are aware that has evolved to consider such things as our origin or the possibility of life on other planets somewhere out there. 
The Hubble telescope, I heard some people talking about the show at the Cyport right now. I haven't seen it yet. I'd love to. But the Hubble telescope is capable of detecting over 80 billion galaxies. That's just something that we've already made and what it can already detect. In fact, there must be many more. That stirs great wonder in me. We have evolved to wonder and to have the experience of awe. It makes apparent to my own little limited mind that I cannot adequately fathom the as yet unsolved mysteries of even the perceivable world, much less all the reality and possible dimensions beyond my perception. In The Origin of Species, Darwin wrote, the mind cannot possibly grasp the full meaning of the term of a hundred million years. It cannot add up and perceive the full effects of many slight variations accumulated during an almost infinite number of generations. And at the beginning of the book, he quotes Francis Bacon. I'm going back to some material from the radio show. Francis Bacon wrote, Let no man think or maintain that a man can search too far or be too well studied of the book of God's word or in the book of God's works. But rather, let man endeavor an endless progress of proficience in both. In his journals from Darwin's trip to South America, he wrote, Among the sciences which are deeply impressed on my mind, none exceed in sublimity the primeval forests undefaced by the hand of man. Whether those of Brazil, where the powers of life are predominant, or those of Tierra del Fuego, where death and decay prevail. Both are temples filled with the varied productions of the God of nature. No one can understand in these solitudes, no one can stand in these solitudes unmoved and not feel that there is more in man than the mere breath of his body. The gender language was his, not mine. I can't explain why the direction of life incorporates so much brutality. And I can't say that evolution will proceed in a fashion that makes insight, cleverness, 
or even wisdom, what will dominate? But I can promise you there are things that we affect with our lives that have ramifications beyond our lives. And what we do with our lives will reverberate through all time. I don't know how time lasts. <laughs>